Hey folks, welcome back to Is It On, the podcast where three lifelong friends discuss tech trends and topics through a Canadian lens. In this episode, we cover the age-old question, to tool or not to tool? That is, what decision-making process do teams go through when adding new technology to their stack? Let's get started. All right, uh, it's been a couple of weeks since our last episode came out. Uh, how, how are you guys feeling about the podcast so far? How's your week been? Yeah, so like uh, the last uh, couple of weeks, I took a few days off finally. So got to see, uh, spend a lot of time in the in the park, social distancing, of course. And uh, I've been playing tennis uh, with a couple of work friends. It's been really great. Um, how about you, Mustafa? Um, well, over the last uh, two weeks, I've been uh, in the consulting world. It's called being on the bench. Um, I don't have a project right now I'm assigned to. I'm waiting for me and my wife to have our first baby. So it's just a waiting game right now. So in the meantime, I've just been studying for my Azure certs. I've finished three of them so far. Um, we'll see how, how much more time there is um, before doing the next one. Um, but yeah, like with, the, with certifications, it's just a lot of cramming of uh, this tool does this, this tool does that. And it doesn't really focus much on um, how do you decide on which tool. It just kind of spews out what the tool does, not how like how you should decide on one per se. Uh, but that's that was something I noticed that stood out to me when I was studying. Um, but yeah, like uh, how about you, Annie? How's how's your week? It's been good, man. Uh, certifications are like Pokemon, am I right? Got to catch yeah. them all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've been good. Uh, some big news on our side: uh, the missus and I, we we bought a house in Toronto. So we are fully committed and in a lot of debt for the next uh, foreseeable future. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a big investment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's funny because we were talking about working from home last last episode, and and we literally did not know that we were gonna buy a house at that point. And then over the span of a week, we were like, "Yep, we want to buy a house," and we bought a house. So it's been it's been pretty uh, whirlwind for us. But yeah, buying a house, it's a, it's a big investment, right? Both both personally and a little bit professionally. Um, it's a big step for us as uh, millennials. And that kind of ties into this week's topic of adding a new technology to a company's stack, right? Or a team stack. And that's kind of what we want to cover on this week's episode. And just our own perspectives on what it takes for... Whether you're a startup or whether you're a big publicly traded company, to add something new to the stack and the decision making process that goes along with it, right? So, talking about the buy versus build decision or uh, the people in the decision making unit, like what actually has to happen from a personnel and a company um, politics perspective, even to implement a new stack um, or a new technology to your stack, right? Um, so we've got lots of exciting uh, things we want to cover in this week's episode, and so yeah, why, why don't we just kick it off? Yeah, like like when I find this a it's a very interesting topic to me because um, decision making uh, it's, it's like from my experience uh, going through a few different companies, I found that decision making or like it starts out with the cre- creation idea, right? So. Um, and there's there's two really two ways when an idea is born. It's either that the idea comes from the top to the bottom, like from your leaders down to you, or or from from the team up to the leaders. I've always found that like top to bottom is much easier approach versus bottom to top. Um, 
but that's um like that's that's generally like where the idea comes from and then like once the idea is there of what you need to do you kind of have to pick the tool or technology to kind of solve that problem right um what i've also noticed as well is um sometimes uh tech is is tried forced into your stack just because um it's the new hot thing to do um and i've seen that quite a bit with kubernetes where a lot of companies try to adopt it just because it's the new hot thing but it might not work for the team right um so tell me a little bit bora like you've been going through a migration for the last few weeks right um and i think you've been going from mesos to kubernetes um and just like uh just give us the broad strokes of um how how was that journey <laughs> do you want a little tldr or like the long version <laughs> so uh, i'll i'll do like a medium sized version for this podcast but um so i joined uh, swift uh, about 3 years ago fresh off of my own startup uh, called rhythm technologies and at my previous startup uh, for our backend stack it was pretty simple we had ec2 machines running a bunch of uh, python web servers uh, running django and a couple of other applications and and a RDS database and that's it you know nothing too crazy easy peasy because there was like easy three peasy. developers you could just update it whatever right but moving to swift uh, the company at the time was i think around 20 people uh, i don't know the exact number but by the time i'd gotten to the company we'd already were a containerized um, uh, application environment which is interesting i had never worked with a, a containerized uh, uh, sort of like docker based uh, uh, deployment environment before and uh, what year was that that was in 2017 or 2016 okay yeah. it's cool. pretty it was already pretty much there and we were going to do the, do that do it do it do it at rhythm as well but it didn't make sense for rhythm as much because i was the sole basically the sole developer so it didn't like you know like for me to deploy and also maintain it doesn't make any sense right so but at the but at like um at swift uh, the dev team was already quite big i think most of the personnel uh was considered in the dev side of things so anyway so we had uh so when i got there like uh, i learned that there were two stacks being run at swift to basically serve our applications um one of them was dcos which uses mesos as the orchest- uh, like the container um orchestration framework uh marathon actually and um and the other was a kubernetes like custom kubernetes uh, built with minikube i believe um so so um uh, the the kubernetes environment was our dev environment uh, mostly and one of our uh, customers and uh, the major customers were on dcos and so there it all starts with like two tools doing the same same job but creating this kind of disconnect between our dev environments and our production environments yeah so 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 that's like problem number 1 right like not problem like like the thing you're trying to solve number 1 is standardizing your infrastructure right um yeah exactly so i think the first thing that you th- you you got to think about is like why is a company uh, a small company that just started out 2 years in running both dcos and kubernetes <laughs> right well, <laughs> i have a feeling you don't want to talk about that but <laughs> i mean we can talk about it a little bit i think so um so the way that that happens is like so if if you're building a company and you have written your code in like say ruby on rails right and you've written your application in iOS and and the focus of the company is really on the the mobile app at the time right when you're first starting out you want to get the product out to market you want to get it in people's hands you're trying to show something that works like in in our case it was a wound measurement application right so like you take a photo of a wound it would measure everything in on device and then send it to the cloud so there wasn't much emphasis on 
specifically the cloud infrastructure of things. Uh, and to do that, I think from what I understand, and I wasn't part of the company at the time, we actually hired uh, consultants or uh, external people to just handle the infrastructure side of things. And so that like the application developers or like the founders didn't have to deal with that, right? So, uh, but because of how quick that turnover process, and, and you, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think like uh, DevOps is like pretty hot on the market right now. So, uh, you know, people just come and people just go, you know? So <laughs> so the thing about, thing about DevOps is like, at the time, somebody came on as a platform architect, and he really, I think, he, he had experience with DCOS at the time. And DCOS is older than Kubernetes is, so there's um, there was there was definitely like more usage of that at the time. So uh, he created the first platform in DCOS, but then he left. Okay, so let's let's uh, let's take a so that's actually a very good point to talk about here is um, somebody who's experienced in a tool right there um, kind of dictated the tool set. To go forward, right, and that, that's a. I think that's one of the points we wanted to talk about a little bit today. Is um, like, <clears throat> do you do you pick? I guess in a startup that makes a lot of sense, right? Like in a startup, you 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 want to go quick. You you want to go to the point. Um, you want to deliver, right? Um, so, and generally, like you have one person, and if they know DCOS, that's what you're gonna get, right? If we try and shift that thinking a little bit in an enterprise company or a public company where there's multiple teams and stuff like that, the decision matrix shifts a little bit, right? Um, and it changes a bit where you want to pick the tool that's better for the collective good. Um, and I guess uh, what would be good to kind of like, let's discuss it for a little bit, um, the, the difference between those two paths, um, because I feel like, like with one where there's multiple teams, it often sometimes leads to decision paralysis. Um, in the other path, which is in your example, um, somebody knows DCOS, but it kind of hurt you in the long run, right? Okay, so so for the layperson, I'm a I'm a product manager. I, you know, I have a very basic level understanding of uh, some of these things. But what what is Kubernetes and what is DCOS, Bora? So Kubernetes is basically okay. Let's let's go with the big jargony definition first, and then we'll get into like what the, what specific problems they're actually supposed to solve. But Kubernetes is essentially a container orchestration engine, and a DCOS is also something like that. But they call they call themselves an operating system for uh, data centers, which is uh, basically they they it's a wrapper around Marathon, which is the Kubernetes equivalent of like a container orchestration engine, which is also built on top of Mesos, which has been run by Apache, like built and maintained by the Apache uh, Foundation for the longest time. Uh, and it's used by a lot of large companies for the container orchestration in the past. So what what what, what container orchestration basically is, is, so do you remember coding uh, back in uh, university? You know, we were we, we would sit around trying to get that. We remember that uh, project we had, Gunti? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and second, second year, year, yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, this is the most unfortunate thing that ever happened to me. I, I have I have nightmares about it. I actually sent a message to Mustafa, sorry, Dante about it like a few <laughs> days ago. Um, so essentially, um, we worked all night, all day, literally all night, all day. Like I didn't sleep for like a day, a couple of days, I believe. Like with Gunty, who was sitting right by me, right? And we built this, like we had this like uh, EC, EC297 project, which is basically building... Um, uh, a network server, I believe, in C. A server, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I wrote, we wrote the damn thing, and we had it working, and we were like, "Oh my god, we killed it, we got it!" You know, this is gonna be our, this is gonna be easy ninety percent. You know what I mean? And this was our midterm. <laughs> it's a midterm, yeah. Our, or it's like a big lab, right? So we had to present our, our thing to a TA in a lab the next day, 
or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and then so so we we come home, come back the next day thinking everything is good, right? Because like you know it's all Gucci. We're gonna go see the TA at this point, and then everything was working before, and all the tests were passing. So we go in and we try to compile it and run it, but during compilation it just breaks. It just seg faults again and again, <laughs> and we don't know why, right? And we just gotten used to using SVN because you know at our uh, at U of T they use SVN instead yes. of GitHub or something. Subversion. <laughs> oh my oh god. My god. <laughs> it was like the tool chain was already pretty difficult to work with. So we did, and we were just starting out at the time because I had no programming experience before U of T, right? And so uh, so I don't know what happened, but it didn't compile, right? And we were just like we had spent so much time getting this to work and. Uh, so in that process, like we, you learn two things. Oh, so we, we, we ended up doing the midterm and then we, fa- we obviously get like a 50% because <laughs> it doesn't build. Yeah. Like, I think, I think this is a classic example of it works on my laptop. Why doesn't it work in prod? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's ex- actually the exact problem that Kubernetes and Docker and all of these like containerization frameworks are supposed to solve, which is like give everything the same running environment. As, uh, as what you would have during development. And that's a big problem to, uh, that, that like helps like the issue with like what Mustafa said, which is basically, you know, it works on a computer, but what does it work in production? Yeah. The number of times the developer is like, but it works on my laptop. Why won't it work in prod? Well, like that's what Kubernetes and all of these orchestrators aim to solve is, is give the developer the tool sets for the entire flow. Yeah. Right? Um, Whole trend towards microservices is only really possible with, uh, because of the fact that we have these orchestration frameworks that make it easy to deploy these uh, independent services. So in, in, in your case, um, so you, you, you came into Swift and um, I guess you, you had this system, some of it is legacy, some of it isn't. Um, and, and your goal is to kind of, you have, you have your problem statement clear in your head for your borer, right? Um, at, at the time when you're looking at that problem statement, um, would you consider yourself like top to bottom you're trying to drive it or is that like more of a bottom to top approach? Um, in this case, uh, the top doesn't really care what tool, uh, as long as it's compliant, we have to care about the fact that like everything is HIPAA compliant, SOC 2, et cetera, et cetera. But okay. the top doesn't really care whether I'm on Kubernetes or DCOS as long as I you know get applications deployed. So I didn't join the company as somebody who was mandated to look after the infrastructure. That is not, that wasn't why... I was uh, hired. I was actually hired as an application developer. But the first problem I saw was this, this, this like complete disconnect between our dev environments and our production environments, and you're running two entirely different tool chains. Okay. So then, when when you, I guess, the, it, it came to the point where you had to propose this idea of um, standard standardification, right? Um, did you have to ever discuss? Uh, like you would, you would get a return on investment if you pick tool A versus tool B um, over the course of three years. Is, is that discussion ever come up? Um, so interestingly enough, I think the decision was made uh, before me to move to Kubernetes like three years ago by the new platform architect, and it is a very sound decision in many ways. You know, like Kubernetes was supported by Google. Uh, it was coming up, and it was the traction was amazing. The community support was there, uh, but we didn't really have it. I wasn't really part of that discussion at the time. But we we ended up having this decision paralysis, like analysis paralysis for about like two years around these two platforms because different people came into a different yeah. So that's a good story on its own. So uh, so I think um, so then the person who was responsible for the Kubernetes argument um, also left, right? So we were left with like we were left with two orphaned uh, uh, orchestration engines orchestrating our production versus our dev environments. 
Um, and that led to a problem of um, deciding like uh, which one felt more stable. So crazy thing, the Kubernetes platform that we were on was entirely unstable. Like it would just, it would die, the nodes would die, etcd would die, certificate rotation was a mess. So basically all of these things just caused a lot of like uh, downtimes and issues with our dev environments and the one production environment that it was deployed on. So like it, it actually wasn't like a very scalable uh, implementation of Kubernetes as well. So it soured off the next set of developer, the DevOps uh, members to join our company. <laughs> so it, it made them like, okay, Kubernetes is shit. We, 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 it's not, it, it, it's so much, such a headache to maintain. So we must double down yeah. on DCOS because it's so easy. Well, without like taking too much of a tangent, that's exactly like I do hear quite a lot of like D uh, Kubernetes is a, is a pile of crap, like it's too hard to manage, it's hard to upgrade. But like what I'll say is it's kind of like I've heard that about Elastic as well. Um, poorly built Kubernetes will be poorly managed. Like, like if you build it correctly, it will deliver for you. And it's the same with Elastic. Um, but like um, I guess like the point to take out of what you're saying is a decision at one point was made towards like the interest of an individual because that's the, the tool set that fit. Um, and then the company grew and, and there was more of a, and a need to like meet the collective good, which is the developers plus DevOps, right? Yeah. And I think one of the interesting, most interesting things about Kubernetes is like, it's new for everybody. I think like, at least in the last few years, like, I don't think, um, I think it only really caught on about three years ago. So, um, so like, so it was new for everyone and uh, everybody's heard the hype, you know, but then there's poor implementations everywhere and you can get turned off of like to technology very quickly. And especially like uh, Kubernetes is like something that you don't really need to invest in as a startup. You know what I mean? Like if you're just starting out, Heroku is good enough. Just deploy your application, get it working and then, and then just get it to market. Right. But that decision to move to something of your own, it can be, it can, I have, ha I have friends who are in other startups who are struggling with the same thing, right? They're trying to hire a DevOps person. They don't know what to do with that. And, um, and then like you end up in the same cycle of like issues that we're trying to talk about here, which is basically what, when to add new technology as well. Like, I think, I think Swift would have, like a lot of companies would be fine without, uh, without adding Kubernetes to the stack, at least until much later down the line. So is it a matter of getting ahead of the curve and, uh, implementing Kubernetes or something else in your uh, deployment pipeline because it's the best time to do it now? Or is it something that you put it off until you actually need it? Because to me as a PM, it's like uh, you're building up technical debt, right? And at what point do you pay that debt? Um, so interestingly enough, I don't see Kubernetes uh, or DCOS or any of those tools as technical debt. The infrastructure side of things like, you know, once you have the tooling right, you can migrate your applications off. Like I think the most important thing is to make sure your data store is easily accessible and easily movable. Because you're you're mostly in web applications, you're mostly building like uh, st stateless applications anyway that connect to uh, a stateful store. So um, so you you can orchestrate mm -hmm. with any platform you really want. So I would I, I would personally hold off on that decision until okay. So this is so this is this is my these are the questions I generally ask about like you know when uh, when I'm adding a new thing to the stack right. Like first question is like yeah. what problem are you trying to solve? Like explain it to me. Like that's exactly it. That's that's. Yeah. Like, I, I know you want to add Kubernetes, but it was added, why? Uh, at a time when a company might be small, you may actually don't, not need it at all, right? Because you have like five developers, they can all really, <laughs> they, can, they can be fine just running a straight Docker uh, compose or something and they'll be fine, right? Like, or like, you know, just 
or a tiny ass nomad cluster. Yeah, anything. Like, just just or, exactly right. You don't need to like add Kubernetes and write it yourself and maintain that infrastructure and you know write your certificate rotations and things like that. What, what the problem you're trying to solve is to create more dev environments. That is the problem that you're trying to solve, right? Because now you have five devs mm. and you have like a, a couple of QA people and you have automated tests you want to run and things like that. You have your GitLab runners that are like you have your you know CI, CD pipelines and stuff you're adding slowly, right? And those are that's where you need the scale and like the ability to deploy something. So that's the problem you're trying to solve right now. But until you reach that point where you want to solve that problem and you have enough people suffering from the problem and they can't run it locally, I would actually advise you to stay away from all of these decisions, right? <laughs> so let's let's drive through that logic, right? Like so like the first thing you said is um yeah, what problem are you trying to solve? So, like, I guess that's that's like, I guess if we were to take it back to engineering school, um, define your problem statement, right? Like, be very concise, be very clear about the problem you want to you want to solve, um, um, because, uh, and just a little bit talk about that, right? Because if you if you pick the tool and go like, I want to go with Kubernetes, um, irrelevant of the problem statement because I've worked with it before, like. Down the line, you might pay for that. It might be too expensive for the for what you want to achieve. Um, it, you might not get the benefits out of that tool, right? So, um, and I think like this is where um, public company where they do a very rigorous RFP process and they go through document after document defining the problem statement. That's kind of where, um, and that's that's something I've done in the past. Versus where in a startup you just pick something and you run with it. And I feel like there there has to be a happy medium in in the middle where. You define your problem statement, and then, and then you move on from there. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like I think a cl- mm. clear problem statement. This is like from you as a as a product manager as well. I think, I think it's it, it uh, that first like honing down on the ex- exact problem you want to solve. I think is is like the, the the every decision has to be backed up by an actual like you know uh, some data and some reason for it. And the second thing question I always ask is like. What is the scale at which this problem is going to be, uh, or like this tool is going to be used at, right? In the case of, in the case of something like Kubernetes, it's like orchestrating orchestrating all of our applications. So, and it needs to be at ninety nine point nine SLA or whatever percent um, uh, uptime, or like it ha- it has to be able to serve so many different like multi tenant clients, you know. So. Uh, so like those mm-hmm. are questions like multi multi cloud as well. I've I've heard you say. Uh, yeah, multi cloud not yet. <laughs> there might there <laughs> might be a uh, there might be a future where that is absolutely necessary. So it sounds like from the problem statement, there's a there's a people factor you need to consider. There's a data factor you need to consider. There's a, um, I guess like since we're talking about tech, like is is multi cloud versus multi cloud plus on prem. Like these are all part of the problem statements you want to define exactly. before you. Before before you pick, right? Yeah. Like, um, and so so but beyond that, right? Like you've defined your problem statement. Now now what do you do, Bora? Yeah, I think after that, like I always ask, is is this something I can buy? Like, and does the cost is the cost justified versus the build cost, right? Like, um, because sometimes you know we're hesitant to spend more money because we have a fixed cost of our engineering team, but there's also an opportunity cost of spending that time and building something up. And like not having them build a tool that you're actually selling to customers, which is, uh, you know, which is what your company is built on. It's not built on the fact that you're running yeah. Kubernetes or DCOS. It's built on, you know, whatever you're actually doing. Right. It's not a revenue revenue generating. Yeah, exactly. Asset. It's not a real asset. It's a negative yeah. asset. Yeah. It's, essen- <laughs> In most cases. it's essentially like <laughs> scaffolding. It's like, uh, you know what I mean? It's yeah. the shit that you build your stuff on top of, but it's not really what yeah. uh, your your company is built by. You can, you can use any brick. 
and this is where like when I was talking about like it's easier top to bottom versus bottom to top because when when it's like like when it's the team trying to convince leadership that you need these tools and it is actually something you need to buy it's a very difficult discussion because you have to like fully explain the return on investment that a good solid base will you'll you'll get the return on investment in 3 years um but let's be real no one knows that answer though like you can you can never be 100% certain on your ROI with the new tool. Right? I mean, the because thing about like know. build versus buy and what makes the buy option so great is that generally the, the option scales. So you buy it at a cheap price and then if you don't need to use it. You can mm-hmm. turn it off. But build is always expensive. It's time and time you never get right. it. But it's like the difference between leasing a car and buying a car, right? Like leasing a car, you're paying small increments. And at the end in three years, you may or may not have a car. With build, it's super expensive at the beginning, but you'll still have that car yeah. at the end, and you'll run it for ten years, right? And I, I think that's that's like that. Maybe that ties back into like enterprise versus startup. A startup, there there might not be year four, five, six, but with an enterprise, there is. Like at least they want to. Um, and I think like that that's mm-hmm. that should be part of your decision making is um, do you, do you need to pick the tool to get to the market as fast as possible or do you need to pick the tool because this is the tool that everything else will be built on for the next five years let's say yeah and 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 just to, for everybody's sake when we say build we're not saying recode Kubernetes from scratch top we're just saying like do you use AKS versus do you put together a Kubernetes cluster on your own I guess is kind of what we're saying yeah exactly. So after that question, I always ask, um, is this tool widely supported or used by, uh, uh, by, um, by the popul- by population at large, like by, by the talent outside uh, your own company or within your company? Um, yeah, like, like what's the community? Like, is there a community behind it? Yeah. And is it, is it an exposed community or is it a hidden community behind a paywall? Exactly. <laughs> and is, 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 there, um, is there like, you know, is there traction and what is the, what is the, what is the uh, growth curve? Is it like dying slowly? Is it like, is it, is it stable? Is it like in an uptick? Like, is it like hot? You know, all of these kinds of questions are super important in making yeah. the right tool decisions. So how do you, let's talk about that a little bit. Like if it's a, a hot new tool, how, how, are you weary of that or do you just jump on the train? I am, I don't look at tools um, just because they're hot. They're fun to try them out, like on your own time and stuff, obviously. And I like doing that. Uh, but specifically for solving a, a company issue, or like, um, or like in an actual problem, I'd rather look at the problem first, see uh, if there's tools available, and then choose the tool that is at a right nexus between uh, supportability and like age, so it has, it's you know, it's stable versus uh, you know some momentum behind it. Uh, so that like, you know, there's a uh, thing. So sometimes it can be something hot and new. Sometimes it entirely can be that. And sometimes it can be something that's completely boring and stable and old. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, like, the answer to that question is look at number one, which is look at your problem statement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> much, yeah. much more succinct than my uh, rambling. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the questions, one of the questions I've been meaning to ask is, We've kind of gone down into step three and four, but how like how do you balance being reactive versus proactive, right? Like when you make the decision of okay, yes, we probably need to add something to our uh, stack, or we need a new tool because this thing is not scalable anymore. Like, do you have to get ahead of the curve, or 
do you realize there's a problem first and then be like, okay, no, fuck, I'd rather be proactive, but proactivity is also comes with problem statement. What problem are you trying to solve is the question you have to ask yourself every, at the end of every sprint, at the end of every retro, like, you know, uh, you ask, what is the, for me, like the way that I've always liked to do things is like, I'd have a top line goal, right? Like for the quarter, a top line goal for the thing. And, you know, sometimes those things change because we work in an agile environment. You kind of, you know, your new requirements come in, but you're still trying to solve a top line problem and that problem needs to be well-defined. And sometimes, you know, like uh, you do have yeah. uh, issues where, you know, you have, um, you have these like, uh, you have these moments where scale is an issue or like some kind of visibility is on it. So I always prioritize getting data first. So uh, any tooling that we need to like, you know, have uh, visibility into problems before they happen is definitely something I invest in. So yeah, that's, that's the proactivity uh, angle of it, like having the data and being, keeping on top of that. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like uh, Kubernetes versus DCOS is necessarily like a, uh, like a, like a, like a, like a get ahead of it kind of problem for me. Yeah, like, a, like if there's an example, it would be like you have a business to business application, um, and in quarter one you're expecting to have ten users, in quarter two you're expecting to have a hundred users, um, and then it stays stable for the like. So that's you kind of know how you can be proactive in the design of your tech to to meet those increasing demands over time, and and this is where I find like it's super important for like product managers to work super closely with with engineers because the engineers have to make sure that that base will meet the demands of the the future that the product needs to meet right, um, and that's like if you're mm. being reactive like that tells me it's either that the product um, is falling be like isn't communicating well enough with engineering so that they can meet those demands um, versus like if you're being proactive, you're like planning together for that bright future where you're still stable, scalable, and reliable. Right. Yeah, I think it goes back to a poorly planned exactly, product. Exactly, yeah. Or, right, if, if you're doing it reactively. Which I guess like yeah. in, in a sense, like when we say a problem statement, the product is part of the problem statement, right? Like... Like well, what like at the end of the day, like the problem statement is to to make sure that the product is um, stable and is functional and 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 new features are are being implemented um, efficiently, right? Um, those are all should be factors of your problem statement. Obviously, that's if you're working on a product, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in this case, like you know, Kubernetes and things like that, and like our um, and the number of environments that we support. Uh, we do know ahead of our time, like when we're launching into a new vertical or in like a much larger customer that needs their own, like, you know, uh, own playground or like their own uh, sandbox, right? So it's, um, it's, um, it's not, doesn't come as a shock. So, uh, so I think, I think there's enough time to plan for it. But that said, like, you know, you do want to get ahead of some of these problems and have in your, in the back of your mind, if you're starting a startup to know, like, eventually you're going to hit that barrier. What time, what time do you should invest in it? It's like definitely something that you should talk, talk, talk through. Uh, yeah, and different like different people from different teams will have different, slightly different problem statements. But I like even if it's a let's let's take a look at DevOps. Like like if you currently have a very archaic monitoring system that is very reactive, very slow, and you kind of want to improve it, like why do you want to improve it? You want to improve it so that the product is more stable. Like I, I truly believe like your product has always always needs to be part of your problem statement. Because it even communicates better with your stakeholders, right? So especially if you're coming from bottom up, um, and and you're trying 100%. to solve and you're trying to solve a problem, and you want to introduce Kubernetes, you can always like like Kubernetes is free and it's open source, yada yada yada. But it still has a cost. It has a cost of like the team. There's a learning curve. It has a cost in 
infrastructure, right? Like, but the licensing cost is free, sure. Um, but there's there's soft costs that business people see that an engineer might not be super obvious to. Yeah, because engineers think that they're uh, that they're not, they're not <laughs> expensive, but they are probably the biggest expense in the company. So <laughs> the, the biggest negative asset at a company. <laughs> Um, um, so yeah, like if you think about it, yeah. those are the kind of questions I ask now. Um, if if I were to go with our current conundrum, which is basically, you know, the DCOS versus like the Kubernetes piece, right? So the problem here is essentially that we're running two different stacks. And why is that a problem? I can tell you, um, this is the first fundamental thing that this was trying to solve was like having the same environment where you dev and the same environment where you where you prod, you know? <laughs> and uh, and and in this case, that wasn't being met at all because it's two different orchestration engines. I know the Docker part of it is the same, but it wasn't really uh, orchestrated the same way. So I think if 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 it's not the same, it's not the same. Like if there's one part that's different, it's not the same. Like by definition, <laughs> like in a CI/CD pipeline, like by definition, if it, if it if it's going to a different cluster, by definition, it's not the same. Like it's it's. So we wanted to build a CI/CD pl- uh, uh, pipeline, but like yo, you can't add. CD for Kubernetes and DCOS, you could, but you're double doubling your work. You know what I mean? Yeah, different scripts yeah. entirely. Uh, you know, different which, which like adds overhead to the DevOps team, adds overhead for the Dev team, adds like there's there's all these like deltas, and I guess like that that ties into your return on investment, right? Like like all of those extras would go away, right? Yeah, and another thing is like microservices. I mean, everybody wants to write a microservice these days, but sometimes they are useful. Like, for example, like um, if you're writing, um, if you're if you're writing a new integration and you want to change a specific, uh, you want to you want to add like a message ingress like layer or something, and you want to you want to transform that message before it reaches your API. Very easy to add a microservice that that, that changes that, and then and then sort of uh, and then your your larger application that already exists can can read it in a way that like makes sense to the application. So we could even do that properly because because uh, because of the t- separate tool chains, right? Because everybody because the devs didn't know anything about DCOS and we couldn't deploy anything and then like you know like there was a separation of responsibilities because of HIPAA and all those things. So like it just it just became a it became a mess because of the two 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 platforms. So we definitely had a huge problem with this with this from day one that I noticed like from the start, right? Um, and then the second question that I uh, that I was talking about, which is like, how much is supposed to scale by? So at this point, like we've started to scale a lot, you know, like the company's been around for like five years, um, and we've had we have a lot more data, like we have a lot more users, and we have had stability issues already, and and then there was and because everything was built with like uh, custom, and people who built it left and stuff like that, it was much harder to change. And then finally, like the question of is there a solution that can be bought? And this is the interesting one here because I think Kubernetes you can build it yourself. Funny, funny thing about Kubernetes is like you have you have masters, you have essentially the, running your Kubernetes application API controllers and stuff stuff like that. You have your you have your etcd, which is basically your database for Kubernetes, and all of this stuff is very expensive. If you're if you're running a small dev application or like a small startup application, you're already spending so much money just running those master nodes uh, just to serve your application, right? But and then the other option is to you buy, right? So I think Mustafa has a bunch of experience here, so he, maybe he can he can talk about it. Yeah, I've I've participated in in different <clears throat> in different pieces being bought versus um, open source. I think I think what it comes down to is how confident is the team in running an application and running a, a platform. So like when we're talking about Kubernetes, like is is 
does the team have enough time and training to kind of build their knowledge, to build the cluster, to, to kind of configure it, be comfortable with it, troubleshoot it inside and out? Um, then, then sure, go the open source route, go, go down that path. If you have a Kubernetes expert on your team, do, do it that way, right? And um, what I'll say, though, what the negative part of that is you've kind of now tied your future employee hiring to be Kubernetes savvy, right? Like you've kind of locked yourself in, in there. Um, the flip side is you doing Kubernetes as a service, like AKS or whichever. Um, and all what you're worrying about is writing a YAML file to deploy your 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 application, right? Um, and it's just, I think it, that, that you, you always have to play that line between um, what's your comfort level and what's your risk level um, as well. Because, yeah, I mean, if you're writing your own Kubernetes, like, why most of the time? I, I've worked in on-prem data centers. Um, if you are on-prem, you really don't have the choice. And that, that DevOps team is the cloud provider, right? So you really, like, if the developers want Kubernetes, and for whatever reason, the company strategy is no cloud, um, which is a company I've worked at before, um, then you kind of stuck, a, you have to build Kubernetes from the top to the bottom. You build your team, and it takes a little bit more time. Um, but you, you, at the end of it, you do have this like great abstraction of, of Kubernetes on top of hardware. Um, but if you're in the cloud, it's kind of like exactly what you're just saying, Bora. I don't disagree with that. Just go with the service. It's easy. Um, you click a few buttons and you have a cluster. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I, I and I totally agree with you with when it comes to on-prem. But like, which startups are like really on-prem at this point? But if you're starting, a, if you're an enterprise company on that Kubernetes, you have really no choice. You have to build it from ground up. But as a startup. And one of the mistakes we made was to build Kubernetes from the ground up when you, when you can literally buy Kubernetes off the shelf and not have to worry about it. And it's cheaper to do that because you're not running like, you're not running nodes entirely dedicated to Kubernetes. Yeah. And you don't have to have the know-how, like there is know-how to know how to run Kubernetes, right? Like, like oh, it's super yeah. complex. <laughs> like I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to downplay this one bit. Like it, <laughs> um, it takes years of practice. And so then, you know, finally we get down to the market research side of things and like, you know, we have DCOS and we have Kubernetes. Which platform do you actually ultimately commit to, right? And for me, this decision was actually fairly easy uh, in this case because DCOS's parent company, D2IQ, have kind of released Convoy, their own Kubernetes application, and, are, uh, and I've been trying, people to get, uh, trying to get people off of DCOS, basically, because it's basically been dying. But, <laughs> but and Kubernetes is, like, is the most popular like, orchestration engine by far. In the uh, in the system, so that also made our decision pretty clear. Yeah, and it's the it's the most complicated one as well, right? And like, and I think I think that when you are looking at market, at what's the tools available in the market for your problem statement? Um, if something appears to be simple, don't like that doesn't mean it's a bad thing, right? Like, um, in a lot of cases, like like if you if we're looking at like Nomad versus Kubernetes, like they they solve two very different problems, but they kind of both run a Docker file, right? Yeah. But one of them is simple and the other one is complicated and it comes down to scale. <laughs> now, we ended up deciding, so of all of those questions, we ended up deciding on EKS because we are on AWS, so Elastic Kubernetes Service. Uh, it, it allowed us to like um, get, our application, uh, get our application on Kubernetes in a more scalable way, which doesn't like, you know, die every other uh, minute. And like, and also, and also like we have uh, auto, auto scaling and everything enabled by default, really. And 
all we had to do was essentially harden it to HIPAA, SOC2, and uh, high trust standards, and which we did over a couple of days. And we had an application uh, infrastructure that was uh, that was much more stable than the Kubernetes um, application set that we had previously. So, yeah. So those are kind of then the decision that made it went to it was basically built on those four questions, really. So I guess like, what's the masala to masala to today's episode? Like, so to tool or not to tool? That is the question, <laughs> right? So when, at which point in your company's trajectory and life or your team's life do you decide that you need a new tool or something new in your stack to help make things easier? Essentially, right? Be it for your deployment, be it for um, your QA workflow, whatever it is. But it also sounds like it's a double-edged sword because to make life easier for you, you have to go through a lot of shit to make it happen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Is that a fair, fair. statement? Because yeah. you have to keep the lights on while... <laughs> I think we touched on it in, uh, in one of the episodes before, but like you have to keep the lights on while rebuilding the future, right? And it's the same set of people doing both usually, um, which can be stressful. I think Bora can attest to that. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> and I think um, like for me, like what I would take out of all of this is always have clear in your head the problem statement of what you're trying to solve, and make sure that that solves something in the product, um, because that will resonate better with your manager. It will resonate better with the stakeholders. It will communicate to the product manager why you need this. Um, everything else, I feel like, kind of like falls in place after, because you'll have a team around you to kind of guide the decision. Don't be a dictator. Don't try and like force tools onto people. Make sure like you have a healthy discussion around why you want to do that tool. <laughs> when that happens, you end up being the tool, am I right? <laughs> hey, hey, uh... Um, but yeah, that's that's exactly it. And like, like yeah. out of my like, I've been in I've been in meetings where like it's ended up into yelling matches and stuff like that. Like, don't be that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, to to tool or not like, to tool, but try, don't be a tool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I love it. Uh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And on that bombshell, thank you so much for tuning in for this week's episode of Is It On. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye.